Armies fight on summer's plain, blood and glory, banners and wine. In the fields of gold that never know rain, there are wonders, a true love of mine. Okay, uh, welcome to the, uh, the latest uh, Empire podcast. Uh, tonight we're going to be discussing battles. Uh, we've got some questions from uh, players, which we've sourced via Facebook. Uh, and t with me tonight are Andy Connell and Tom Hancock. Guys, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, with pleasure. My name's Andy. Uh, most of you have probably seen me uh, bestriding the battlefield like some kind of colossus and shouting at orcs. Um, I run the battle team at Empire, um, and um, most of you have seen me um, on the battlefield. And I'm Tom. Uh, I guess a fair few people have seen me about on the field. I've spent time playing in both the Imperial Orcs and in Dawn. And I'm one of the people who does a lot of the writing for the battles, so essentially the battle scenarios at Empire. Cool. So... Uh, to start us off, I'd like uh, a great question from Ren Robson to look at, which was, why do we have battles? What fundamental purpose do they serve? And it seems like a really uh, odd question to ask, really, since lots of large LRP events have battles. You know, they're almost a standard part of LRP. But if you look at the history of PD, we spent 14 years running LARP games very successfully that didn't have battles in them. Um, so it, 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 for us, it was not a given to do battles. Um, but for me, the single biggest reason to do battles is the cool. I mean, so I, I think basically the reason why I wanted to introduce them is because I think they're really cool. Um, and I'll talk, I'll come back to that point. But you know, welcome basically either Andy or Tom to explain why they think battles are important. Um, I think battles um, provide one of the uh, largest opportunities within a, a live role-playing scenario for a massive number of uh, players to affect the story, to affect the plot, to affect the outcome, um, all at once and all together. You know, you can deliver a great speech in the centre, you can you know, do some witty strategiums at the military council, um, you can stand up in the Hall of Worlds and talk about how amazing magic is, but... The, on the battlefield, you've got literally hundreds of people all engaged, all role-playing, and all being part of the same big thing. Yeah, and I definitely agree with Andy there. I think, you know, he's touched on some of the big things, you know, those big movers and shakers in the game who will, you know, literally change how the Empire's fortunes turn, you know, with a single decision or a single vote. But, you know, we do have three, four hundred uh, player characters on the field, and, you know, that's... That's 400 individual stories as well. You know, it's not just this grand story of empire itself, but, you know, it was, there's that tale that you can tell in the tavern about how, you know, you managed to escape uh, after you were fallen down behind orc lines or that daring rescue that you went on with your friends or how that random person that you never knew in high guard suddenly managed to save the day and sort of maybe capture the enemy uh, general or, you know, something like that. They, these individual stories that come out of it as well. I think it does provide those those individual moments, but it also provides a great environment to role play your character um, in a in a very adrenaline fueled, a very tense situation, um, and and that's to me is essential for for character development and for you know for how you role play. 
Yeah, and I think it's actually quite a nice thing that Empire has done, especially when you look at uh, things like the lineage as well. Um, there's some really interesting sort of bits of roleplay I've seen on the battlefield about, you know, uh, how people actually get to roleplay that aspect of their character. You know, as a as a changeling, you know, are they taking control of the situation? As you know, as a briar, are they just sort of really just infused with the energy of battle? So there's lots of really interesting things that you know maybe normally uh, in other LARP sort of systems you might not pick up, but you know they're great great opportunities to bring those elements of role playing in as well. For me, I, I think that. You know, we learned when we, we launched Odyssey. A lot of our development around Odyssey was was the realization that, that, that the key point of a battle, of a fight, is to give an outcome to the story, it, uh, and, and for that outcome to happen live and to happen as a result of player actions. It's it's too easy in any LARP game where there's an ongoing campaign for some of the significant developments to happen off stage. Uh, and that had been a, a perfectly legitimate criticism of some of our previous games, that basically the cool stuff happened outside the event instead of at the event. And, and for me, what battles are about is all of these generals are in the, the, the council and they've got their strategy. The senators are arguing the, the policy. The, the, you know, the wizards are casting rituals. Everything is coming together. And, and it comes together at this moment of the battle. It all, and, and, and whether or not you win or lose is decided on that battlefield. So it, it gives resolution, it gives outcome, mm. and the resolution and the outcome happen live at the event. And that is something that, that you can do with a battle, that, 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 or a skirmish, or a quest, that, that is almost, it, it's the perfect vehicle to, to create that dramatic resolution. There's a reason why every Hollywood movie finishes with a fight, because it creates dramatic resolution. Yeah. I, I, actually, I think that's a nice uh, point to take on as well, Matt, is um, I guess sort of just around the time I started uh, writing some of the battles, we'd moved essentially from the end of the Siege of Holberg, where a lot of that, you know, very visually came across in some of the Winds of War and the actions that the armies kind of on the you know, uh, fields outside of Holberg, but a, a lot of that really didn't have a resolution on the field, uh, on the battlefield for players. Um, but that was something that, with the um, end of the Rykos campaign, you know, that was something that we really sort of actually managed to include, and I think worked really well. It was whilst the Imperial armies had sort of driven the Druze back. You know, we we actually ran a battle that gave them that final that final victory. So you know, it wasn't just that campaign victory it you know it was a hard-fought victory that you know could have actually ended up badly for the players yeah and actually you see the inverse of it last year at the end of last year where the Yatoon had basically defeated the the empire in the mormwald and driven them out but rather yeah. than just resolve that story in on the run-up to the event and go well the, the numbers say you lost so you lost sorry we're like no let's let's freeze the action there let's start the event and go Heroes of the Empire, you have one moment to save the Mornwald. This is it. There's a battlefield out there. If you march out onto that battlefield and you win and you carry the day, you will save the Mornwald. If you don't, you'll lose the Mornwald. So the campaign resolution hangs at that moment. And I think that's really, really cool and it's really exciting. And I did think there's actually just uh, building on that kind of those moments in which the campaign pivots. I think as well, there's some nice. Um, there's some nice bits actually just within the nation briefs that you know in 
terms of kind of a lot of Wintermarks, you know, sort of um, sort of the fate and destiny aspects of that. And again, with Orison and sort of the net of heavens as well, it's all about these pivotal moments in history that you can sort of change and affect. I think sort of kind of resonate as well with the background of the setting. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I mean, I, I think when we wrote the setting, we, we obviously knew that, that war was going to be a big part of the game. Um, and so there was a real attempt with each nation to think about how strategy and battle and war kind of affected them and how they affected it. Um, so hopefully every nation finds that they come to a battle with with a mindset that reflects their nation's role-playing shtick, basically. That's, yep. that's your hope. <laughs> you, you know, as, as Andy said, basically what really counts on the battlefield more than anything else is the role-playing. That it, 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 you know, and again, I think it goes back, going back to what makes battles cool. For me, when I've been on battlefields playing characters, it is just that epic moment of being a character, being my character in a war zone people around me are fighting and dying. Uh, if I'm stood there thinking, I've got four hits, they've got three hits, let's try and take them out. You know, total fail, total fail. I want to be my character surrounded by war and death and violence and, and really be feeling that and, and getting the chance to role-play my character in that moment. Um, there's a, a, you know, if there's a failing of live role-playing occasionally, it is that we, we make our characters bigger than the, the, the medium can allow. People want to be pirates, but we can't do ships very well. People want to be ninjas, but none of us can disappear into the dark. You know, <laughs> what battles Speak to yourself. Okay, yes, Andy, I'm sure you're near invisible when the sun, <laughs> the sun goes down. What battles do is actually give you a chance to be a hero. They, they, they give you the chance to be the hero that you wanted to be in your head, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, and I think linked to this, Rachel Westrass, which is really, I think, a challenging question. Why do the down, why does the downtime campaign have more bearing on the story than the battles the players fight on the field? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting question, and I think, you know, I think it's one of the difficulties in some ways. You know, Andy Raff writes these absolutely wonderful kind of winds of war, which sort of, you know, very very sort of evocative and kind of bring together all the things that have happened essentially on what is a big spreadsheet of numbers but you've got this really interesting story that's there but you know for for us and writing the battles it, it's essentially giving players the opportunity to write and tell their own stories afterwards you know we're not continuing that story itself it's really up to the players i think on how that story goes yeah i mean i think i mean first of all there's, a, there's an interesting kind of counter question to rachel which is why do you think the players should have less control over the campaign themes? Um, if I, I, what I mean by that, if I think about events I've been to, I, I would go to a large event, there'd be a battle on the last day, and I'll find out on the Friday that the necromancer is turning up with his army of undead to attack the, the, the field on, on the last day of the event, and then we'll all line up on the field and go out and fight the necromancer. Now, I'm obviously taking the most reductive possible kind of standardized concept in LARP, but I've been at that event. And the, the thing that always goes through my head when I'm at that event is, why can't I be the necromancer bringing my army to crush these heroes? Why can't I, why can't my actions have caused this battle to be happening? Why, why is it always the writers that are causing those stories to happen? And, and the goal of, the, of what the generals are doing, uh, for me, was all about them causing the battles to happen. It's players 
making decisions which are causing this conflict between you and the Yatoon, causing this conflict between the Druge or the Grendel. And obviously, those nations are aggressive and are also trying taking actions which will cause conflict. But the battles that are happening, the, these big dramatic shifts in the campaign are happening because of the decisions the players are taking. So there's, a, there's almost a weirdness of, well, do you want the players to have less input on the, the, the big story arcs that are moving? And I think most people would say, well, no, but what I want is for the battles to be pivotal. And I think that's the key. I think the pivotal's right. It's the, the battle opportunities that the players get to engage in. Uh, are obviously you know, part of the wider campaign and part of the wider story and you, off table you have these armies of thousands and thousands of people which we can never fizz rep um, but the, the the battle opportunities the players get to go on represent key tipping points within that campaign where a small number of people relatively speaking can suddenly have a, a massive knock on effect yeah um, and I, I guess it also builds up on some other elements really in the entire game so with the sort of military council you know you're dealing with sort of known certainties you, know, you throw so many thousand troops against so many other thousand barbarian troops and you should be able to work out the outcomes there but I guess when you put that into a live situation not only do the, are we giving players the opportunity to choose where they go in battle uh, but we're giving them uh, a great big uh, variation in terms of the objectives and the outcomes that they can actually achieve themselves um, on a battlefield. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really right. There's a couple of points there which are really important. One is that a lot of empire is predictable. If you cast a ritual, you know what the effect will be. If you move this army to this location, you know what the effect will be. And actually, the pivotal moments when you just do not know, nobody knows. We don't know, the players don't know, nobody knows what the outcome will be, is when you go on a skirmish, it's when you go on a battle, it's when you go into and actually go out there and, and clash swords. And, and so the battles create that unpredictability. And I think they are pivotal. From our perspective, as the writers creating these scenarios, the, the, the outcome of those battles is absolutely pivotal in deciding which way the story goes. I think, you know, if Rachel's got a, a legitimate criticism, it's maybe that we have not always managed to convey that to the players. We have, you know, we're, we're clearly not as, as well as we would like have we conveyed how pivotal these moments are, that, that fundamentally um, that, that, that what happens on those battlefields is determining where the story goes next. It is determining the outcome of these campaigns in a, in a significant and, and, uh, way. But I think um, there's also a counterpoint. What Rachel is, is certainly right about, you, you can't send one army against ten and then just send the players out on the battlefield and reverse the massive loss that you're suffering. If you send one army against ten, you'll get a pasting, but you'll get a chance to get your army out of there with half of them still intact, you, you can't you can't turn a, a drubbing into a victory. What you can do is is you, you're the pivot. You you can basically be the the, 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 the crooks that turns a, a rout into a loss, or a loss into a victory, or a victory into a triumph. You, you can't just completely change the story, but you can determine which which outcome you get. Yeah, and no, I think that's been uh, one of the really interesting things for me in sort of writing a battle, both kind of in the story element that we're trying to convey to the generals and sort of the options that we're giving them, but it's also looking at sort of 
uh, with Andy, kind of the actual um, objectives that we're setting for players uh, and sort of how, how they tie into that, the scale of, of the battle and how victorious players can be. But also conversely, and I think Andy could probably speak a little bit more on this, is been, we've been doing the same as well uh, for the Monsters, for the Orcs as well. Uh, yeah, it's very true. I mean, what what makes a battle for me um, is the the action on the field. It's the objectives that each side has to follow through with. It's the tactics they use. It's you know how they lead their troops and that kind of thing. It's, when you come down to it, at the end of the day, it's not about hitting each other with rubber sticks. It's about you know that kind of thing because all of those things are, are part of the story. And I think the thing that makes that we certainly we regard as as the kind of the strength of Empire is that it all feeds back through the rest of the game. That that you know Empire is a game of politics, economics, and war, and they're not three separate games. Mm. They are all joined together. They or they're, they're they're just three pillars of the game itself. The victories on the battlefield affect the politics of the empire. They affect the economics of the empire. The economics of the empire affects the victories on the battlefield. It affects the politics. And the politics affects the battles you fight and so forth. It's all moving back and forth. So, but the stuff that's happening on the battlefield is pivotal to the, all the game that's happening in the field. Or, you know, it, or it is when we get our job right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think it was obviously you know yeah you've just touched on how those different areas of the game do do kind of intersect and I still think you know there's there's lots of things that you know sort of as the game evolves and changes we we've kind of had to think about you know how how do these parts of the game actually interact with a battle and I mean just thinking about it one of the things that I know we haven't done much with has been sort of priest game and it's you know, uh, the, there are elements there sort of in things like sort of consecrations and the exorcisms that, you know, could well be things that we can do in battles. But I, I don't think personally we've had a great deal of kind of success with at the moment uh, or so far. So, yeah, there's all these different elements that do come together from across the game. You know, it's, you may just be playing a lowly trader, but, you know, your you know, trading and your sort of making of potions perhaps can, you know, save the life of somebody on the battlefield and... So yeah, on. absolutely. One of the things we talked about relentlessly uh, within Empire, within within our team, is that you know if the players decide to spend every potion and every mana crystal and every resource on a battle, we can't restart that battle to take account of all the extra resources. We have to give them a battle that they can triumph on. You know, even if that means that that some elements of that are unsatisfying because it seems like an easier win than it should be. Because if they burn their economics cards because they're like we really want this win then we have to we have to yes. reflect that and give them that we don't just go oh right well you know they've spent everything on this battle so let's just upstart the orcs so it just stays as hard as it was going to be yeah. uh, you know that would be that would be the opposite of what we want because that would then take the economics and the political elements and neutralize them and we want those to remain important so, for, for me, that's an essential part of the the, the battle experience. Um, is the the way that we the way we manage battles. Um, you know, the rest of the game is completely you know open and free to be you know manipulated by people and interacted with by people. You know, there are no managed outcomes, um, and it's very important for me that battles are, are exactly the same. You know, we we manage the environment that the battles happen in. Um, and set things up in a certain way, 
But you know, we don't once everyone runs onto the field and starts running around, we don't manage that environment. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things I'm really keen on. I, I, and it, it really fits into the PD ethos that basically we don't want to determine the outcome. We want actions of characters, both NPCs and PCs, but we simply want it to be an organic development from the action of characters. We're not actually interested in telling a story. We want to create an environment where PCs tell their own stories um, and, and their actions uh, are, are kind of what determines what happens. So we, we actively eschew out of character control of the battlefield. We kind of, and, and that's why we've, we've gone each year, we've gone more and more in the direction of in-character leadership of the Orcs, in-character unit leaders, in-character runners. It's, it's to get to a kind of pure sandbox environment where 400 Imperial characters are fighting X-100 Barbarian characters. Go. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it's this fantastic thing that we're, you know, creating. It's also the astounding sort of effort that, you know, uh, not only sort of the skirmish crew and sort of the ref team and kind of everybody who's involved in the side of things of preparing the battle. There's so much that, you know, we have to think about and prepare for it's you know it's a really intense and interesting experience you know, it's that we're we're saying you know as a as a ritualist you can go onto this battlefield and you know you can cast cast rituals whatever rituals you like so yeah we've got to try and anticipate you casting that ritual you know it's do we have a ref there with a the tablet who can tell you what's going to happen are we ready to actually action action the outcome of that ritual so you know, we, we need to be ready for a lot of things. And I think it's definitely helped us kind of focusing on this kind of sandbox element. Actually, you know, OK, what happens if, you know, if a player comes onto the field and they've um, they have maybe some mass calls, uh, maybe a mass repel or something stored in a sort of magic item? You know, are we ready as refs to be able to sort of resolve that and convey that effect on the battlefield as quickly as we can? So, you know, players get that immediate response as well and the same with things like the scrying rituals you know i have suddenly realized you know five ten minutes before a battle that we actually have some players who are ready to cast a ritual and have i actually thought about what the results will be so no i suddenly need to run around and think about what i need to tell those players so th there are a lot of things that come together but you know hopefully from the player side you know it really is that kind of free and open environment for them yeah yeah so I think it's a really interesting point to move on. Uh, and we talked a lot about why we think that, that, you know, what, why we think they're cool, why we have them, how we've tried to put them together, and how we try to work. And, and the, the question is, what does it look like when we get it right? Thomas Michael Taylor said, "What's your favourite battle moment that you've witnessed?" Um, and I, I, sadly, I've actually seen very few of PD's battles, but but I know Andy and Tom have seen a lot of them. So, you know, welcome, basically, uh, Andy, if you want to tell us, you know, what what you one of your favourite moments from a battle. Um, a couple of great ones. Um, we did um, a battle in the Mournwald uh, earlier in the year, um, which was um, a phenomenal battle. The players had a variety of objectives. One of them, they had to uh, defend a mine. Um, and the other one was defending uh, a radio, both on completely opposite sides of the battlefield. Um, and the Orcs obviously split their force to uh, try and take both objectives, and the players split their force to try and um, defend. And it was a, it was an absolutely superb battle. There was lots of movement, lots of deployment, redeployment of troops, and people you know shuffling their forces around and working out you know who was going to be in the best place to do what. 
um, and it it made for a very uh, very dramatic and very um, very fast flowing battle. Um, another great one for me was um, um, a battle we did the year before um, at the old site um, against the Druge, uh, where the players had to hold a number of uh, magical stones uh, and conduct a, a ritual at them, um, uh, which would last a certain amount of time. And if they were interrupted, the ritual failed. Um, and it was um, it was a battle so full of movement um, and so full of drama and excitement. Um, and it, for me, those those what made the best battles. Yeah. So I guess from sort of my side of things, um, I guess unlike Matt and Andy, I've I've played Empire. Uh, I spent sort of the first nearly three years of the game kind of playing in the Imperial Orcs and the Iron Tide and. You know, we had lots of really exciting, sort of uh, cool and heroic moments ourselves as a unit. Uh, but for me, I think one of the greatest things I've actually seen on the field of Empire was, I think it was the last battle I actually played and died in as an orc. Uh, I remember us coming onto the field as the orcs, and we immediately sort of set about uh, sort of preparing to assault into a fortress. Uh, and just as we were about to go in, I remember looking back across the field and seeing Dawn uh, sort of just start to emerge uh, from the Sentinel Gate. And, uh, you know, there's this host of, I, I think it must have been some some sort of 80 or 90 uh, characters coming out of that portal. And, you know, you have that kind of look of it was Dawn, there were pennants flowing, you know, there was all the many colours of the different houses, everybody in their sort of battle plate, you know, uh, looking really like those shiny knights, uh, you know, of sort of romantic legend. And as they came onto the field, a force of Druze moved up to sort of begin to engage them. And I just remember seeing as Dawn sort of cleared that portal, uh, they players broke from sort of a slow walk into a sort of steady trot. And that trot became a canter. And then that became sort of a full on sort of charge across the field. And you had, you know, 80 players sort of charging down into the monster lines and what happened was fantastic. It was like sort of at that moment in sort of Lord of the Rings when the Rohirrim charge onto the Pelennor fields. You know, you actually had the Druze suddenly started to slow their advance and then they started to back away and then they broke. And, you know, Dawn pushed them a good two thirds of the way back across the battlefield. It was absolutely fantastic. Really epic moment to watch. I love that story because it, it encapsulates one of the things that sounds so easy to do in LARP, LARP battles, and it's actually so hard, is that moment where you say, they broke, the monsters broke, and ran away. And, and in, in, if you think that the point of LARP is for everyone to hit each other with rubber sticks, then that's a total failure because uh, you know, they're, they're your monsters that you want to have a fight with are running away. But I put myself in the head of that, that the, uh, the mind of one of those Dornish warriors, and it's like, we've charged these guys, and they have just broken in terror before us and are fleeing us. You're going to feel like the biggest boss in the, in the world. You'd just be like, this yeah. is amazing. Um, and actually, I in I Lark, think it's as well, actually, just thinking about that, you know, it's, it's also what we're going through the heads of the players playing those Druze as well at that point, too. You know, it's like, hang on, I've got to run away, you know, uh, otherwise that's I'm it, gonna... you know, as, as my orc, I'm dead. Absolutely, and that's why it's actually so hard to do that, because a lot of people will turn up with the view of monstering of, I'm here to fight and die, oh, we're getting charged by the players, oh, I'm dead. Whereas instead these guys stopped and thought and acted like Druze and went, 
oh my god, a hundred heavily armed Dornish knights are about to murder us. let's run away. And it's actually so hard to get monsters to flee in battle. You know, they, they, they have a, you know, it's all too easy for them to just drop out of character and assume they're there to fill an out-of-character role of providing a combatant instead of thinking, I'm here to play my Druze character on this battlefield. And my Druze character is going to take one look at that charging knightly host and think, I'm out of here, pal. You know, and I, 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 I think, you know, for me, that, that story just encapsulates what we're trying to achieve with Empire Battles, that the people are there playing their characters and and nobody could have planned for that no you know we didn't plan we didn't go on then the dornish will charge and we'll break it it was just spontaneous in character response um okay um claire daniel says what do you feel the role of player monster units is and you know has there been a good uptake and and i think I've, I've kind of asked that question next because i think it dovetails into to what we're starting to talk about what I've been talking about about how we we make um, the battlefields a, a really amazing environment where people are role-playing and being characters in this war zone. I, I'm really interested to hear Andy's view and Tom's view, but I just want to start by saying I think the player monster units, the elite monster units, the guys who have volunteered and have put time and, and effort into making kit, and we'll come back to that because it's really worth talking about, are absolutely the most significant and best development that we've had in our battles you know since we started um that they really are uh, an amazing concept and the more we can develop them, the more buy-in we get the better battles we're going to get when we started empire we looked at models of large events that were taking place in this country we looked at models of large events that were taking place on the continent and we looked at some of the mechanisms that the the big german games were using and we sort of tried to see if we could copy them and we couldn't we could not make them work they didn't work for our event they didn't work for a british audience but I think the elite military units are uh, are our answer of how to create amazing battles. I was going <laughs> um, to say, I think one of the cornerstones for me is it's important that everybody who comes to the battlefield has a great time. doesn't matter if they're playing as their character or if they're giving up their time to come along a, a monster. You know, they should all be having a, a fantastic time of it. Uh, and one of the ways to give people a greater opportunity to have fun is to make the experience more immersive more realistic and you know and, and more involving um and the the emu initiative is is a great vehicle for that um you know essentially uh, groups of players can get together uh, and decide to portray one of the um orc elite units from one of the nations we even have some groups who are so keen that they've created um, uh, an alternate identity for every single one of the all nations, which is yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's something that we actively support people in doing. Um, it helps them in a, a great number of ways, not just in terms of uh, immersion and having something cool to do on the battlefield, but in terms of our pre-battle prep. These people can rock up to the monster tent, collect their masks and come straight onto the battlefield because they already know what their stats are. They already know what the brief is um, and it, it makes the whole process more efficient and more fun. Yeah, um, I, I think it, it, I mean, yeah, you're going to be having fun, you know, with your friends, with your mates. Uh, I think, you know, being able to pull together and create that sort of group identity really does, really helps as well. You know, it's, you're not just 
kind of losing your friends in a sea of a hundred identical orc mask faces. You know, if you've got your own group colours, you're moving about the field on your own, uh, sort of as a unit. So there's there's a lot more I think there. Uh, one of the things, one of the big things I think Andy and I are pushing uh, this coming year is not only encouraging more people uh, to sort of take up these elite military units, but also uh, from our side of things to actually provide uh, you as the players with sort of better briefing materials, uh, better advice on kind of what our look and feel, you know, so what Andy and I, what Matt, Raf, and the other members of PD crew sort of actually think these units look like and how they act on the back field you know so we're trying to give you as many hooks as we can uh, to make them into real characters so just like if you're you know going to play in the league and you're maybe looking on the wiki and you're finding information about you know what a league bishop looks like and dresses like and what they do in terms of role play we want to provide the same sort of thing so you know what a Jotun Alvenoir or a Grendel sort of a Stormborn wizard uh, what they look like and what they do so a lot more things are think can be expected in sort of the coming weeks uh, just up to the first event I think just sort of what we're going to be providing in terms of sort of uh, briefings and sort of stat sheets and things hopefully we'll be able to get those up on the wiki as well so we, players can see them and actually go oh you know let, let's go and play this unit uh, but as Andy says you know it's really useful for us sort of backstage um, in just trying to prepare for battles as well it's you know if you know what you're going to be playing on that battle, you know it saves us a job of having to tell you. Uh, it makes makes it our life and your lives easier. Yeah, I, I mean that's the glorious thing about the elite military units for me. It is a win-win-win scenario. If you're the players and you've you, you've got together with your 30 mates, 20, 30 mates, 40 mates, you've gone that 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 thing there looks awesome. We want to play that thing there. You put some investment in, you put some time, and you maybe create some kit or you know you, you do what's necessary so you can portray that. And we can help with that. You know we we. Uh, paid money for materials to help group make the kit that they want for their elite military units and so forth. Um, but basically, you've picked the elite cool thing that you want to play, and you know you're going to get to play that when that, that force is on the battlefield, and you know you're going to get to play it with your mates, and you know you're going to get to play a, a, a really important unit on the battlefield, because we're going to factor that, that elite unit into our strategic planning, so you're going to have an important role. So basically, by, for the player playing the elite military unit, you get to pick what you're going to be instead of getting maybe assigned something you didn't want to play. You get an you get to invest and, and look cool and look amazing and have all the players looking at you and all the monsters looking at you thinking, "Wow, you look great!" And then you get a cool role to play in the battlefield. So it's a win for the player. It's a win for us as organisers because, as as Andy and Tom have said, we we don't have to brief you uh, to anything like the same level. You're all prepped and ready. We know what you're coming as. You come as a group. You fight cohesively. So we've got a much better strategic force to, to challenge the players with. And of course, we get far higher costume standards than we can manage ourselves. You know, the the detail and the effort that some players can go to is just amazing. And that then yeah. sends through to the third win, which is for the players who are fighting on the battlefield, because they get to come up against these amazing opponents. With you know, we've spent thousands and thousands of pounds. I think we spent twenty, thirty thousand pounds just on masks and armor launching Empire, and the net result is pretty cool. But he's still a monster in a latex mask with a bit of armor on. They look okay, but it took thirty thousand pounds to get four hundred orcs to look okay. But you look at what the elite military units have done, and 20 or 30 of them will lock, rock up and just look brilliant. 
And so that's it. Yeah, win, win, it, it's win, win, win. Um, yeah. I, I think the only downside, really, that you know we can identify from this whole thing is you know it is entirely dependent upon the sides of the battle. Um, yes. If, if their league decides to go and fight against the Grendel today. Uh, maybe that elite military unit that, that you know they don't uh, get too uh, monster as the Grendel, um, but you know I, I think there's still lots of opportunities there. Um, yeah, you're every event, right. what we you know every event what we're going to be looking to do going ahead this year is running a big skirmish on the Saturday afternoon, sort of early evening, so five six o'clock. Uh, where again, you know, if you are playing an elite military unit, we're going to be giving you another opportunity to come along and monster for us. And of course, you know, if your group decide that, you know, actually, at some point during the event, we'd, you know, sack the sack a couple of hours off playing, uh, you know, come up to monster and, you know, let us know and we can see if we can actually get you sort of, you know, helping out monstering quests as well. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that, that one of the, the, the drawbacks, are, the, 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 the one big flaw in the model is that because of our players get to pick the battles, players get to pick the sides, there's always the chance that you wouldn't get to play the elite military unit that you'd put time and effort into. And we originally thought that was such a fatal flaw that it held us back from implementing elite military units. For two or three years, we couldn't see a way around it. And actually, in the end, we said, well, just bite the bullet and do it anyway and the response from the people who, who created the elite military units and bought into it was so positive um, that many of them and they really enjoyed it as well that's the critical bit they really enjoyed it and we got you know it was, it was clearly working they then said well can we create a different elite military unit in case we can't you know if we can't play our, our super cool Grendel we want to make sure we get to play a super cool Utoom unit at which point that problem went away but it was a level of investment we never thought we could expect, but they wanted to put it in. And equally, oh, it, was amazing. it was amazing, just amazing. But we're now saying, well, we can run skirmishes, we can do this, we can do that. So whatever happens, we will definitely get a chance for you to play your elite military unit. And players want that because it's so much fun. Yeah, I, I think as well, there's some really nice things that, you know, maybe as players just initially won't pick up on with the elite military units as well. I think we've probably done rather a good job actually I think of across the different barbarian nations of kind of balancing as well the unit types so you know the stoneborn uh, in the uh, Grendel and the Jotun um, Scaleborg uh, so Skeldir? Skeldir. Skeldir. Yeah, they're these heavily armoured sort of shield line units. We've got sort of heavy skirmishes. Um, so with the Druze, again, we'll take that in a slightly different direction, but they still have uh, sort of, you know, a big, heavy, hard-hitting, heavy infantry units. So, yeah, there's there's always going to be that sort of thing of, you know, if you are playing in Dawn and you've got a, a group which, you know, everybody's got sort of plate armour and things, there should be should be opportunities in each of the different battles, you know, if you do want to choose elite military units there. And also one of the things we did was kind of look across uh, the actual player nations in Empire as well and think, well, you know, where are the nice matchups in terms of kit as well? So obviously uh, Varushka, uh, Wintermark, uh, the Marchers, potentially even some of the Brass Coast all have these nice overlaps with some of the themes that we're wanting to promote uh, with the Jotun. Uh, the Brass Coast again, um, Urizen and sort of the League, there's some nice sort of mixing there as well with the Grendel. And of course, sort of the Navarre sort of really resonate as well with the Druge. So there's all these nice overlaps, you know. Uh, you may have a kind of battle road that you go into battle with um, as your Urizen Sentinel maybe. 
but you know that may well actually be really easily repurposed and maybe as a Grendel Sky Mage or potentially when we get back to them maybe as a full wizard as well so you know it's not just about buying complete new sets of kit it's maybe looking at what you already have in your collection uh, and being able to use that that is true but I, I'm a big believer in kit um, it sounds a crazy thing but actually um, I find that, that the more effort you put into your kit the better an event you have uh, and actually the prep and the getting ready and the getting psyched up and the making cool kit when, you, when you're involved a lot of the elite military units uh, the players that are in them the guys and girls in them have got their own Facebook groups and you see how excited they get when someone yeah. in their group's made a standard or they've got a new bit of kit yeah, for yeah, the group yeah. actually you know, we can help out with the costs on the materials. If you've got people who can put it together, you'll get kit to own that, is, that will probably cost you nothing or will have cost someone in your group time. Um, but it's the, it's the investment by the group. It's the investment of, of time and energy and passion. LARP runs on yeah. passion. And when people get passionate about it, go, yeah, we want our Skialdir unit to look better than any other unit on the battlefield. What are we going to do about it? That's when they have an ace battle. That's when they go out there like, let's rock it, let's you know, let's kick the empire's ass and make them fear us. <laughs> that, that's yeah. you know, it's that passion that that, that yeah. if you're just like, yeah, yeah, I just read, you know, I just turn up and I get giving me hits and I don't really mind what kit I wear. And if you do no enthusiasm for it, it's really hard to enjoy it. You, you've got to. That's yeah, to feel exactly. It. It's I think as well also again that's a theme across empire as well as this kind of aspirational quality as well. You know. We're not going to say, you know, um, unless you're wearing kind of, you know, full chain sort of with leather sort of over armor, massive big sort of furs over your shoulders and you're kind of holding, you know, like a five foot sort of Danex, you know, if you don't have that kit, you can't play sort of a Yota Northernoir, you know, if you have that, it's fantastic and amazing, but, you know, work up to it, build up yeah. the bits of kit build that you up have. To it. Um, and I think the beauty as well of the elite military units is if your orc dies in a battle, it doesn't matter. You know, it's not like you've gone into kind of high guard and you've spent hundreds, maybe thousands of pounds on all your kit and you die and you kind of think, well, I've got all this kit and I can't wear it again. I don't want to wear it again. You know, I want to go off and play in the marches. You know, do I have to sell it? What do I, oh, I've wasted all this money. You know, it's like this orc can be, you know, an orc character that you have for years to come. Yes. So Jesse Hornet's interested in the mix of roles available in Monstering. She's particularly interested in low combat roles. Um, and I think that's really interesting to talk about because we talk now about elite military units. What's available? What, what, what are we trying to do to create uh, more cool for people who don't want to be the front line of a shield wall? Yeah, so I guess just to start this off very quickly, I think this was a thing that sort of Andy and I have realised recently has been we've put a lot of focus, obviously, on the military units, but uh, I think it's we're now starting to think, well, actually, there's a lot of roles that just keep coming up in battle. Hang on, hang on. Before, before you go down our exciting new road, um, yeah. so within the um, elite military unit structures that we already have, you know, say you want to come along as a unit of Ulvenoir, so there's you know, 30, 35 of you to play Aubenois. You know, we expect you to bring a couple of runners, uh, a couple of people to play goadies for the unit, um, possibly even the some... Healers, they're the healers. That's so it, they're the priests, some... they are the Etoon priests. Yes, shamanic healers. Um, um, uh, you know, some runners, some water bearers, someone to hold the flag, someone to bang drums, someone to carry water. So you know, within the the elite military unit structure there are 
a variety of roles available. You don't just get, not everyone needs to strap on six stone chain mail and a giant axe. Yeah, that's totally right. Because I mean, I think one of the things we, we hadn't really talked about, but it's so when you think about the stuff we talked about earlier about sandbox environment, pure, you know, the idea of IC combatants clashing blades with IC combatants. We want healers in our orc lines. We want priests in our orc lines or their equivalent. We want artisans in their lines mending armor and using artisans oils. We want people. We want surgeons and chirurgeons uh, attending to wounds. You know, we actually don't want to respawn. We want to. We want our orcs to be fighting the same way and using the same mix of roles and the same mix of characters and the same rules that the players are using. The, 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 yeah. The, yeah. But yeah, so I guess that sets the same nicely for one of the things that we're looking to do uh, now, sort of uh, for the first event, is kind of trying to put together. Um, very similar to this elite military unit idea, which is kind of just an empire-wide group of people who, you know, maybe you are new to empire and you've never actually gone on a uh, sort of a LARP battlefield before. Maybe you're not uh, at all excited about actually sort of being stuck in a shield line, uh, you know, sort of being potentially sort of trapped between sort of loads of fighters. Or maybe you're much more interested in kind of more the orcs sort of healing and sort of their... Their priestly game. So, so there's lots of other roles that we're starting to think about of what can we just sort of in general put on a battlefield and how can we sort of encourage people who, you know, want to do these uh, lower combat roles. Uh, what can we actually give them that keeps their game interesting and doesn't just mean, you know, we're forcing you to sort of put on a mask and sort of run at the enemy lines, not as an elite character. You know, we're thinking here about, you know, Obviously, we've had said surgeons and battle standard bearers. I think there's scope as well for ritual teams as well. So, yeah, it's trying to put together a, a bunch of roles that players can take up uh, in these areas. Yeah. And I think, again, it's about... Ironically, uh, if you are uh, wanting a low combat role, an elite military unit gives you a, a great opportunity because you know you've got a really fixed idea of what you're going to play. That with the best will in the world, there's always the risk that if you just turn up randomly to Monster, some briefer's going to grab 20 people and go, great, you 20 people, come over here, you're going to be a spear unit, strap this armor on. And then suddenly you're going to have to be start explaining, going, well, I, actually, I, I'm, I'm a low combatant. And then that guy's got to take you out of that line and put you in another line and all, yeah. all the other problems. If you're in an elite military unit, they already know their mix. They know their healers. They know their frontline guys. They know their support guys. You know, they know what they're coming with. You, you turn up and you know, you've got total confidence. You, you know the low combat role that's still vital to your unit that you're going to be playing. Uh, but yeah, if we can get also the support, elite support troops, um, runners and, and, and ritualists and all of this, um, field hospitals at the back of your lines, it'll just be... Massive. That's it, yeah. So Oz Mills asks, how can you encourage role-playing on the battlefield? And I think the answer for me, um, I mean, obviously, we've done a lot in our rules and our system and our setup to try and encourage role-playing in the players. But I think the, the thing that really encourages role-playing in the players is if the monsters are role-playing. If the monsters are role-playing, the players will role-play them. So for me, the question is, how do you encourage role-playing for the monsters? And my answer to that is briefs, briefs, briefs. Starts with a brief, ends with a brief. So I'd like to invite Andy to talk about how he thinks people are going to get briefed, how, how does that work, what, what, what is our concept? So ultimately, you can only deliver a certain amount of information to someone in a field when they're just off to go and run around and expect to have them you know, listen to it in any significant way. 
Um, so the the briefing material that we're going to have um, for the for the orc troops is going to be available on the wiki. None of it's secret. Uh, none of it's hidden. Um, it, you know, it's all common knowledge, and we'd love people to go out there and read it so they can portray um, a bad guy better. Um, but one thing we do when people come through the monster tent and they are you know, processed to, to go out onto the field, uh, we're going to aim to have some documentation they can read um, while they're getting changed or you know, get the loudest person in your group to read it out while you're getting changed. And it will give you some little hints and tips on role-playing and portraying the various nations. Um, as well as giving you stats. So you'll kind of move through the process where you, know, you get some documentation while you're getting changed. Then one of our briefing team will, will brief you on what it's like to be in that nation and give you your stats. And then, as many of you experience, you then come up to the, the battlefield and whoever's leading the battle, um, which hopefully won't always be me, um, they will then tell you what's happening on this day, what our objectives are as the Orcs, you know, what our battle plans are, and then you get handed over to your unit commander, uh, and then your unit commander is going to, you know, go again, go into further depth about, hey, you know, this is where we're going to fight, this is where we're going to stand, this is who you're going to follow. So it's lots of small bits of information. You know, there's no point trying to give someone a big thick wedge of A4 and be like, well, read this while you're putting out your armor on. Yeah. I think layering the briefs, and, and, and we, we haven't been as good as this as we, you know, we've got, this is an aspiration for us to get better at, that, you know, if, you, if we're running a Druze battle, or a Grendel battle, Grendel are the ones I know, you should turn up and basically almost get five things to know about the Grendel, you know, simple, simple, yes, quick bullet points, get you in the headspace of a Grendel, great, you're, you're now Grendel, you're going to be a Stormborn, here's the, the shtick, here's the mental shtick, the one or two, key points you can build in your head a Stormborn character around. That's another, you know, it's two lines. It doesn't need much. Uh, you know, live role players will pick a good brief up very quickly off the, 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 the thinnest, the, the simplest, not thinnest, but the simplest of material. And then they go out onto the field, they meet Andy or our Orc General and the unit leaders, and they start to then get the in-character briefing almost on it. This is why we're here. This is where you're going to be. You know, layer it up so it's easily absorbed and, and you're getting more and more into character as you go. Cool. So, uh, and we've started to talk there about the improvements and how we're going to do more delete military units uh, and try and get better with the briefing and do this layered thing. Obviously, we've changed quite a bit of the, the, the rules over winter. We've done some, some you know, improvements. Not everyone likes them, but that, that, that is LARP. Um, but Neil Pryor's asked, with the changes to healing, do you anticipate a greater number of player deaths? And again, I'd be interested I... in Andy's view on this. Yeah, um, yeah, and you should go first here. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, I think the the key thing to remember is that the you know the bad guys are playing off exactly the same rule set as the good guys um, at this event. Um, I think what will need to happen is that the players will need to have a bit of a think about how they change their tactics. Um, up until now. The, the the healing and the recovery of hits and armor and that kind of thing is is an incredibly fast process, uh, and that in itself has driven the the tactical angle of the game on the field. You know, speed suddenly becomes the most important thing. Keeping the pressure um, pressure applied to the enemy becomes the the most important thing, and as a as a consequence of that speed, um, one of the greatest um, advantages is in any fight, whether it's a quest, a skirmish, or even a large-sized battle, is to outnumber your enemy. Um, and we've seen it um, over the last few years, 
even if you have a, a very small numerical advantage over uh, the enemy troops, you're basically guaranteed a win. Um, and it doesn't create for exciting, dynamic, tactical play. Um, what it creates is this kind of this this you know this zerging to use a, um, a, a gaming term, where you know you're constantly applying the pressure, and it leads to a battle where you're you're either always winning or always losing. Um, and battle should be a lot more dynamic than that. You know the people on both sides of the battle should be able to, you know, to take stock, to withdraw their forces, to regroup, to retreat, to to switch fresh units in and out of the battle line, and and do all those cool tactical things. Uh, and I think the the change to healing is the is the single biggest thing we could have done to to affect that. I, I think we really, I mean, you know, in terms of you know, will more players die? I we don't know. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, who gets to go on that first battle uh, on the Saturday of the next event. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens. Uh, hopefully we'll get to run a couple of quests and things the night before just just to see how things will go. But yeah, um, see, I'd player like to... death, you know, I, I, I don't think... Uh, it, it's character death, though, is not a bad thing, you know, in many ways. It is the it's the end of your story, but, you know, it's it's a story that the rest of your group take up, so... I think, you know, it is an end, but it's also, it, it is, yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I, so I want to almost be, be deliberately um, contrary here and say that I think the changes in healing will lead to less player deaths. And that sounds perverse because, let's be absolutely clear, we've nerfed healing. We have nerfed healing. It is less powerful, <laughs> less effective, and slower. The, 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 the direct, the obvious causal effect of that will be more players will die because there will be less healing, it will take some, blah, 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 blah. So it, it would seem to be as obvious as, as, you know, day follows night. But 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 that, I think, utterly uh, ignores the human element. There's a kind of well-known effect true, from yeah. health and safety and from other stuff. If you, a car, car design is a classic. If you put ABS brakes in a car, it makes the car safer. What happens if the people know the ABS brakes are in the car? They drive faster, take more risks. <laughs> Conservation of risk, that the safer people feel, the more risk they take. Um, and, and so there's a constant challenge because, of course, the car manufacturers want to tell you about all the amazing features they put in your car to make it safe. And the road safety guys want to put the features in the car and tell nobody that they're there um, because people can serve their risk. And, and really that comes back to the essence of what will determine what will actually happen. My argument that there will be less player deaths is because the players won't be charging forwards. They'll be being more conservative. They'll be taking their time. So they, they won't win battles as dramatically as they were doing before. As Andy says, it won't be you're either winning, 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 or you're losing. But they won't get caught out. They won't suddenly have a, a battle turn against them in the same way. They will see that loss as it's happening much, much. It, it'll be easier to see it. They'll be able to react and, and pull back and conserve and, and avoid just getting 50 players cut off and wiped out. The point is actually I, nobody knows. Nobody knows yeah. what's happened. It will come down <laughs> I, I, I to the strategy. Yeah, it will open up actually. Just I think you know maybe in a, in an event or so's time, just the things that we can actually do as scenarios in a battle as well. You know, it's you know we, we take that time where you have to spend all this you know effort in actually keeping your warriors fighting. You know, it's, could we look at doing more sort of long and drawn out 
you know, sort of big defensive actions where you're constantly cycling your troops, you know, sort of providing a very different challenge. So where it actually falls down on the healers um, to be working efficiently rather than, you know, the fighters. So I think there are some interesting scenarios that will be able to come up with uh, those changes that we've made. Crucially, it comes down to player strategy. Whether players yep. die or, or not comes down to their strategy. It comes down to how they've prepared for the battle. It comes down to how they fight. And that, for me, is, is the big goal of Empire, is to make... When death happens, we desperately wanted it to be meaningful. If someone assassinates you as a politically targeted assassination on the Anvil field, it's a deeply meaningful death. When your unit gets cut off and wiped out on a battlefield, it, it is not so personal. It's not somebody trying to murder you, but it's still really important. that The Empire is probably losing that battle if you've been cut off and murdered and cut down. It is... You know, if, if you're dying on the battlefield, it, 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 it's affecting the Empire. It is an important and significant death. And it's happening because of player actions and because of player strategies. It's not happening because you've just got unlucky. Um, so, yeah, I will come in uh, then uh, another thing that I think it's almost a, well, it is, it's a purely logistical issue, but Matt Devil asked, why do battles start later and later? Um, is there anything going to be done to address this? And this is an improvement that we are in the process of rolling out but haven't told people. So this is breaking news. Um, do you want to <laughs> yeah. talk about this, Andy? Uh, yeah, let's go for it. Um, so why, very briefly, I'll talk about why battles uh, go out later and later. And it's this awful, vicious circle where you know the players are a little bit late. Nobody bothers turning up to monster too late. So the monsters aren't ready too late for the... The players don't bother turning up till late, and you just end up in this vicious circle where you're suddenly starting the battle at half past twelve. Um, and it's critical that we start battles at eleven, so that we can have the battle done and people can role play the consequences of that battle rather than just, you know, taking their gear off and getting in their cars and going home. Um, and the way we're going to combat this is we will be starting the battle at eleven o'clock. Um, and if the players don't come through the portal at eleven o'clock then the monsters will crack on with what they're supposed to be doing. And likewise, if the uh, monsters aren't ready at 11 o'clock and the players come through the portal, then the players will have free reign to, you know, to, to, to you know, crack on and start the battle. Um, and I think having that hard start um, will, be, will be really useful. It will spur everyone into making the effort to be there on time. Yeah, totally. I mean, I talked earlier about win-win-win scenarios, but starting a battle late is literally a lose-lose-lose scenario. Yeah. The players are all stood around bored cause they're, and, and pissed off because they're waiting to get on the battlefield. The monsters are bored and pissed off because they want the fight to start. The organisers are tearing their hair out. You've got this insane situation. And actually, the people who are not going on the battlefield are all desperate for everyone to come back so they can get all this great role-play and the emotion and everything. Literally... Uh, a, a late battle is a lose for everybody. And that's really why we've taken this dramatic step. Uh, we, we, when we sat and talked about it, we just said, look, there's only one way to fix this problem. We start that battle at 11 o'clock. Come what may. If weapon check isn't finished, we start the battle at 11 o'clock. If the monsters are not in place, we start the battle at 11 o'clock. If the players aren't ready, we start the battle at 11 o'clock. Literally... It has to be a line in the sand that we, you know, a deadline that we will not move for any reason, because only once the players have come to trust absolutely that we will not move that for any reason, will everybody start to build their clocks around it. So it just has to happen. Yeah. 
And I, I think a lot of the things we've already talked about this evening uh, will, you know, definitely help. I think with this process, you know, it's being able to provide more information and stats to players, uh, sort of encouraging the elite military units and uh, sort of the support groups. You know, I, I think it's, you know, we won't have to spend so long just constantly going through with people what their stats are, what your role playing brief is, what costume you need to be. So hopefully this will just become a much more natural and quick to do, uh, quick to sort of execute process. Cool. I think we've come to the end. Is there anything anyone would like to close on? Anything anyone would like to say? Uh, yeah, if you're interested in forming an elite military unit, my email address is andyc at profounddecisions.co.uk. Uh, get in touch. It's amazing. Yep, I, I definitely echo that. I think um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll start to get some of the sort of uh, more detailed sort of briefs up uh, onto the wiki pages that already exist for these elite military units and also obviously some stats as well so look out for those and we'll probably make an announcement when they go up I guess Matt yeah totally um, there's a lot of, there is a lot of content already on the wiki so there's lots to look at already if anyone's interested but keep your eyes on it we'll keep updating it we'll keep adding to it and keep improving it but yeah I think for me you know we said this this podcast is about battles but it could almost have been a podcast about elite military units they're so cool they, 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 they will make your game better they will make our game better they'll make everyone's game better um, so yes get in touch uh, have a look have a look what's there because it will make monstering a battle a lot more fun for everyone. Um, yep, and I guess if you're wanting to put one together, you know, we'll see you at the latest at 10.30, I believe, on Saturday of the first event. So 10.30 is the time we're planning to close uh, Monster, so we can actually get everybody kitted up and ready for that 11 o'clock start. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Right, thank you, everyone. I think that's, uh, that's about it. Uh, we'll get this up and get it live and uh, see what the feedback is hope, hope everyone's enjoyed listening to us thank you thank you bye armies fight on summer's plain blood and glory banners and wine in fields of gold that never know rain there are wonders, a true love of mine.